We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately not here. He has fallen ill. Get well soon, Abe. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies via mostly spoiler-free review, the occasional commentary track, or other, other fun movie topics. This is episode 411. We have the 411 this week, and uh, we are talking The Old Guard and Palm Springs. Uh, two movies, a double review here. And uh, joining me to discuss both movies, we have from Lenoir Artur, a director and filmmaker currently embracing the immortality that comes with year 2020. It's Terrence Johnson. <laughs> if by immortality you mean sheer boredom uh, <laughs> <laughs> with, you know, life, then yes. <laughs> well, Terrence, I feel like I understand this already, but how are you doing today? <laughs> uh, yes, because, you know, we chat. Um, I'm fine today. The AC is on and working, which is great because it's supposed to be like 101. Um, so I won't be going outside. <laughs> Even for a breath of fresh air. Uh, so, yeah, I'm doing good. I've been... I've been slowly but surely starting to catch up on movies. Yeah, well, there you go. That's always good uh, for a film critic. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, in this, I think a lot of people, it's interesting to to think about, like, you know, like a lot of critic. like, we're so used to being like, all right, I'm going to get this screening, I'm going to go to the theater, I'm going to see this movie, I'm going to write this review. And, like, you have a cadence for how that goes in your mind. And now everybody is like, hey, you can have all of these screener links, which is nice. But, like, potentially you can watch them on your television. You're like, am I going to watch this movie or am I going to watch, you know, Legends of Tomorrow season two? I, or I know what you am mean. I gonna... Yeah, because I, I, get, I, get I get the screener links and I'm like, well, cool, I got these. At the same time, there's, you know, I'm at home. I have so many things I can watch. So it's like I, I really have to find myself balancing like, OK, let me watch some stuff so I can actually write something new. And then let me watch like some random criterion that I've had for like six months and have yet to like dive into. Yeah. So it's like like even with the movies we're going to talk about. I mean, I just saw them. So I there's, you know, leeway in terms of in there to write the review. But like I'm still thinking like, oh, yeah, now I have to write this review. <laughs> well, cool. Let's. um. Let's get to some show notes real quick. First up, we had a new commentary track for Jaws. Yeah, that was our last episode. We've been off for like about a week now. So, I mean, happy belated 4th of July, everyone. Uh, but yeah, we wanted to get that <laughs> Jaws commentary up there just in time for the 4th. And we did. And it's a lot of fun. A lot of co- good conversation up there. Um, that's on iTunes and everywhere else. You can find our podcast now. Um, yeah, that that's going to hold for July until we get to August for our next commentary track, which we're still working on. Uh, what else? iTunes reviews and ratings. Good to get those. Helps out our show. Helps other people find our show. If you want to log on to Out Now with Aaron and Abe, or log on to iTunes, you can search for Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find our show and you can give us a rating and uh, even uh, write a little review if you want to. Thank you in advance. And uh, what? Uh, before we uh, kind of get further into things, I want to mention this happened just recently as well, uh, between now and the last time we talked about things. Uh, f- famous composer Ennio Morricone has passed away. Um to say he was prolific would be underselling the amount of work that he contributed to the film world. Um, <laughs> he has decades upon decades of score. I was looking at the list of all of like his filmography, and mm-hmm. it's it's amazing how many scores within single years he was pumping out. Like just, there was like there's like eight at a time sometimes. 
it's ridiculous. Like he was just like going forever for a good, you know, for several decades there. Even recently, you know, a little less because you know, he's older and what have you. But like he still managed to yeah. win his first Oscar for The Hateful Eight after his honorary Oscar. So uh, no, a lot of a lot, a lot of praise I have for this. But, uh, Terrence, you have any favorite Morricone scores? Um, the Thing is one that pops into my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I love that movie and it's very atmospheric. Um. I have to go. I haven't seen a lot of the spaghetti westerns that uh-huh. he sort of got his claim to fame for. Um, so hope, I'm hoping to dig into some of those this week, actually, um, yeah, to get to the early work. I'm really, you know, very much more familiar once he started doing American sure. uh, movies. Yeah, um, I, but his I, his score for Hateful Eight is really good. It it is a really good. So I really like that score <laughs> a lot. But um, I I mean I. I am familiar with his spaghetti Western work. And I mean, the good, the bad, the ugly is obviously very iconic, but I mean, for a good reason, I really like that score a lot. I, I, uh, it's, it's terrific, but yeah, like the other, certainly his work with Leone in general, the fistful of dollars, few dollars more, the once upon a time films, like they're all just, (laughs) they're, they're very listenable and they very much help with the atmosphere he created for those films. Um, I actually just watched the mission, for the first time yesterday with uh, Robert De Niro mm. and Jeremy Irons. And I know that one's one of the ones that people praise him the most for. And I believe it was the famous, the, his favorite of his scores. And it is quite nice. <laughs> it's a very good score. <laughs> I, I was not disappointed by this. So, um, yeah, no, just a, just a, a plethora of uh, amazing work. Uh, and he, he will be missed. Uh, so yeah, just wanted to shout out any Morricone there. And uh, now let's move on uh, before we get to our main reviews. We do a little thing we call here we call what we would have talked about, where we go over briefly the films that we would have talked about this week were 2020 not to turn into the insane world that it is. Uh, originally, for this summer weekend, we would have had Ghostbusters, colon, Afterlife, as well as The Forever Purge, The Purge 5. Oh, God. Terrence, were you excited for either of these films? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, not at all. Um, yeah, no, I just, I cannot muster the enthusiasm for, like, Ghostbusters-related things. I just, even when, even when the, you know, All Women one came out, I was like, okay, this is great that, like, you know, women get to be Ghostbusters too, but just, like, do we care? <laughs> and now I'm even more like, oh, so now this is like Jason Reitman's Super 8, but with his dad's property. But but what if I told you the Ecto-1 had a gunner seat? It has a gunner seat in the trailer. You know, it's one of those. I, <laughs> I am tired of small town <laughs> Americana at the current moment, <laughs> you know, Stranger Things, like that, they put that out at the right time, man. Because like, the, the, just like the concept of of what of what it means to like set a Ghostbusters movie in a small town with those particular characters, um, and then the Purge. I'm just like, will it end? The Purge is the 2020 of movie franchises. <laughs> like, it just will not end. <laughs> I just, I just like that the purge has pivoted to real life. They don't even need the movie anymore. Like that's what's really seemed to have gone on here. 
Um, yeah, that was the tough thing. So a little inside baseball um, for your people. I interned at Universal Pictures mm-hmm. in 2015, uh, and that's when they were gearing up to make the third one. Uh, and I remember reading the script, and my boss was like, if you don't feel like reading this, like you can pass it off to the other intern. Because what normally what we would do is we would give notes on particular things like smoking and drugs and, and sex and all of those things. Just, you know, the studio being a studio and a publicly traded company, mm-hmm. um, they need to know about all of that stuff. Um, and I got to like page 60 and I was like, the other intern can read this. <laughs> and now another two movies and a TV series since then. Two seasons. God. So you're not the biggest fan of the Purge franchise, I take it. That's that's not. What's no. Uh, I think it's I think it's an interesting premise. Uh huh. I just have no desire to see the movies. Yeah. Uh, having seen them, I I can't say I'm a huge fan of them. I it's more it, every time I'm like, there's a good idea here, and I like what it's trying to do, and yet it's holding me back from liking it more. That that's like every every one of them. I have that exact same reaction. The the third one actually like I gave in to the point of like I guess this is fine. Like I stopped mm-hmm. I stopped questioning some of the logic, uh, which I guess is what the TV show has tried to answer for me, which I just haven't watched. Where yeah. it's like wait, how do these rules apply when it's not the purge? And that's what the TV show kind of does. So I'm like, well, at least they're they're openly acknowledging that there's a lot of holes here. But okay, but <laughs> overall it's just like yeah, okay, we're still doing this. And it's not like they're, you know, fun. <laughs> so, uh, with Ghostbusters, yeah, I mean, it exists, and we'll, we'll see what it does, I guess. But, I mean, the, yeah, it's going for a very specific approach that feels geared towards, well, this is popular, so let's do it like this, as opposed to yeah. finding some really reasonable way to want to keep this thing going, which I think is possible. I think there's a world there to explore. But I think it's also specifically New York, much like Men in Black, honestly, as far as I think that what makes that series work is when they're in that specific location. When you take it international or when you take it to small town America, I'm like, why is this as interesting? I, I don't seem to find that there. At least uh, at least the examples I have have not shown me why that should be interesting. I always forget Men in Black International was something that happened. Everyone did. <laughs> like I, like <laughs> I literally haven't thought about that movie. Since the last time somebody brought it up, like a year and a half ago, and I was like, "Oh yeah, we did watch that." Every, I, I guarantee you, when they have interviews for Thor: Love and Thunder, and they interview Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, they'd be like, "So how's it like working together after Mission Men in Black International?" They'd be like, "Wait, there was a we did a Men in Black? Like what? Did you know about this?" <gasps> um, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> those are the movies that would have come out. I believe Ghostbusters is scheduled. For next spring, if I'm not mistaken, March, yeah, March, March, 5th. March fifth. Uh, I don't know when the if that was rescheduled. I mean, I know it's gonna come out eventually, but I'm not sure when the Forever Purge is rescheduled for currently. But yeah, that's uh, that's what would have come out this weekend. Let's um, let's move on. Let's get to our main review, the first of our main reviews for the Old Guard. There you go. Thank you. These are extraordinary individuals. They are extremely resistant to capture. They're going to lock us up and weaponize us. 
But they've never faced an army like ours. An army of five. Shit, let's start a band. If we can unlock their genetic code, the entire world will be begging us for the key. You shouldn't have done that. We don't have all the answers. But we do have purpose. I strongly recommend that we leave right now. Wait for the signal. How the hell can you even tell? Oh. I'm gonna keep popping fun all That should have been some of the trailer for The Old Guard. Greg Rucka, a successful comic book writer, he has had a hand in action and detective comics. He's having a good run in the adaptation world. In addition to the success of his, the TV series Stumptown, which uh, he co-created, he has taken his own graphic novel series, The Old Guard, and wrote the screenplay, which has now become a Netflix superhero action film directed by Love and Basketball's Gina Prince-Bythewood. The story concerns Andy, played by Charlize Theron, an immortal warrior who works with a team of other immortals as mercenaries attempting to do the right thing. Along with the discovery of a new immortal, played by If Beale Street Could Talk's Kiki Lane, the team must also deal with a man who's discovered them and has plans to capture them and harness their abilities for others. Terrence! Was this a thrill to watch, or did it feel like an eternity? Um, it was a thrill to watch, actually. Um, and sort of the perfect quarantine action movie. Yeah. Because, not, because you know, we're all contemplating our own mortality um, by virtue of, you know, a pandemic and never being able to leave the house. Uh, and so it was really interesting to see a movie about immortals. Like we see immortals contemplate the nature of, you know, mortality, but it's always like, oh, you humans will be gone in the blink of an eye. I'm thinking you just recently rewatched, um, the Hobbit movies and I'm thinking of Brandu Wheel moment where he's talking to Thorin Oakenshield and he's like a hundred years in, in the life of an elf I'm patient I can wait you, it's always looking down but never really looking in and so I found this movie really interesting about like the toll that's taken on these people um and how somebody new coming into that fold would react I found Kiki Lane's <laughs> reactions spot on um, and I thought that it had a lot of great character work. I found the action scenes to be quite thrilling. Um, it was also nice to see, I don't know, I mean, I can't speak to the production process, and I know Gina Prince Bythewood, um, you know, great black woman director, directed Love and Basketball, she directed the pilot of um cloak and, cloak and dagger you know so she's had her hand in a lot of these different types of properties and you know we'll never not see her casting black people so but it was really interesting to see this movie in its diversity 
and the way that it both addressed and didn't address it. I don't know if I haven't read this graphic novel. I didn't know it was graphic novel. So I got to the end um, and I saw the credits uh, and I know that Netflix is very big on diversity, but I wonder I like the thought that was put into it and how it was employed within the story. Um, and it was it was nice to see Dudley Dursley, even though I did not recognize that that was him until really long into the movie. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm uh, I'm with you. I I enjoyed this movie quite a bit too. Um, I didn't necessarily put my like, you know, better adjust for Netflix goggles on as far as some of these are mm-hmm. pretty good, some of these are pretty bad because I do think um, uh, Prince Bythewood uh she's she's delivered in various forms uh i mean the love of basketball beyond the lights and the, the cloak and dagger series that she was like she, yeah she directed the pilot and was an executive producer on and she's been involved in like the marvel world for sony trying to get that uh that what that uh, black cat and silver sable movie going which just mm-hmm. never happened so it's like she clearly <laughs> has like a fondness for this kind of material in addition to you know whatever else it's not like she's been limited as far as what kinds of films she wants to make which is always good for any director um but the kind of the things that I recognize that have worked in like other properties that she's been involved with is music. Honestly, that's something I really wanted to, uh, to emphasize here. I mean, in addition to the things that you've already said, which I agree with, I think there's a, a good deployment of different like music tracks in this film that feel that make the film feel yeah. unique from other superhero films and other movies like this. There is a kind of a there, there things like Frank Ocean and whatnot like pop up at various moments, and it. I, I imagine it could feel jarring to some that are just used to, you know, whatever Brian Tyler putting on some music or whatever in the, in the score. <laughs> but I, I do yeah. think that the use of certain kinds of tracks tap into what these characters are like thinking and going through. And I found that to be effective. And that adds to the fact that I just like these characters. I, I think the movie does a great job of presenting you with a handful of people that I can, you know, get behind as far as wanting to see them do what they're doing here, contemplate what they're contemplating as well as deliver on the action front. And, like, I can talk about... We can talk about the action. That's easy to talk about. It's really good action. It's yeah. choreographed. I can see what's going on. And it's, you know, it's quite violent, too, since they're immortals, and it's on Netflix. It's not having to prove itself to some, you know, PG-13 studio mandate. They can really go all out with the idea that these people can get messed up completely and come back to life and, you know, down some people as well. But uh, yeah. what adds the weight to it is the fact that I like these characters. I do think the film does a good job of presenting you with people that are in a certain kind of situation and they have various reactions to that right Charlize Theron is very weary about everything given that she's been alive for centuries and humanity has been if anything worse (laughs) in the time since and she's like why am I still doing this what what is my what is my deal here if I'm gonna like keep fighting for the the good and yet no one seems to want to change anything at the same time you have Chiwetel for it here who I think is actually pretty wonderful in a movie that it requires him to be a lot of exposition, yet everything he's feeling and what he's trying to express about why he's after these immortals registers. And I don't know if that comes down to just Edgy Force, just a really good actor, or the script (laughs) has afforded him a character that can really play off of those things, but whatever it is, it works. Uh, I I think those things really come to life here. Uh, I can... I, I know where the criticisms lie for this film as far as, yes, it's telling a pretty standard story as far as there's this team and somebody wants them and he's pretty one-dimensional and he just wants to take their powers or whatnot like i've seen that kind of movie before and by the end of it it sets up a kind of 
I can't wait to see this version of the film in the sequel. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I just I liked watching this ver- this you know first movie, and given that it has pretty good reviews and Netflix, you know, it's the number it's trending number one on Netflix right now or whatever. Like I look forward to whatever that sequel is going to be, and I hope it happens as opposed to you know Bright Two or whatever the hell. Like I'd rather see oh, another God. one of these. So. Yeah, I think what is really great, like you mentioned the characters, I mm-hmm. think everybody has their reason for being um even even you know Dudley Dursley um like he's super evil and villainous but it's not like it comes from like this random place he has things he wants to accomplish like he's trying to eradicate you know disease in the world like yes for profit but also he's trying to eradicate disease in the world and so you understand why he starts acting the way that he does and, and you find out you know, Chiwetel's, you know, backstory. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. But yeah, I loved, I felt like we got to learn about everybody in a meaningful way. You know, like you find yeah, out yeah. about, you know, the two gay characters as they're trying to explain to Kiki Lane's character how they know each other, how they met, you know? And then you get a really great, <laughs> a great monologue, which when I watched it, I was like, why are you giving them like all of this? Given that like, they're probably going to do something awful to him by virtue of you giving this monologue, but then they open the truck doors <laughs> and you're like, Oh, okay. I see. <laughs> That was a great, yeah. It it's great, and yeah, I just I really like Charlize's weariness mm-hmm. and how she wore that in her performance, particularly when you know when he's when they're like, oh, she's you know forgotten more ways to kill than many people will learn in a lifetime, mm-hmm. and it's like you see that ruthless efficiency in the church, um, but you also see like the toll. It's like, yeah, I can kill all of these people, but like. You know what's next for tomorrow? I'm just killing some more. The um, the closest approximation I could think is like a vampire movie, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm aware uh, you're a fan of the vampire genre, if I'm not mistaken, in general, right? Yes, I I love the supernatural. <laughs> yeah, so I you know that's how I was looking at this a lot as far as coming in to try to understand what the premise is here. Is like okay, so they're immortals. They're not vampires in the same way, but like they're you can see there's a you know there's a lot of similar strands there as far as something like i don't know like interview with the vampire where these characters that are just alive all the time they can't die and they feel kind of tortured by it or better yet not better yet necessarily but i like it more uh only lovers left alive with uh hiddleston and and tilda swinton because i'm a big fan of that movie uh there are characters that are literally been alive for millennia (laughs) to the point where it seems like there's a hint that they can even see the future and like their whole the whole movie is them just being very nonchalant about everything because who cares? They will keep being there. And this movie, I would I would have liked to see more. Obviously, it's an action movie. It has to satisfy on that front. But I would have liked even more of these conversations because I found those quite compelling as far as the attitudes that these different characters have. If anything, just to give more life to some of these characters. Like, I really like um, Matthias Schoenart's, um 
he doesn't have like a ton to do for a very specific reason, but there's, mm-hmm. there's more you can explore with someone like that. Or the other two guys, who I do, I agree, they're they're very well utilized as far as defining who they are. And in particular, what's his name, Mar, the guy that played Jafar, Marwin Kazari. Marwin Kazari. Yeah. He has this wonderful monologue, like towards the middle of the movie, that kind of explains exactly what his relationship is. I think it's just like such a well written scene, and it's in the midst of like a bunch of commandos like holding him captive, and it's like yeah. it just really works. It's honestly, I'm even though we're in this weird world mm-hmm. <laughs> where you know, everything has to go VOD or streaming or to the drive-in just by nature of what... I'm so glad that Netflix exists for a movie like this to be made. Because, mm-hmm. like, this movie, that monologue, like, not that you couldn't cut that scene. Like, you could theoretically show them getting captured and then cut it. But, like, is... I'm trying not to shade the studio. But, like, is Sony putting the money towards something like this to release it far and wide in a major theatrical campaign with that monologue in it? No, you know, <laughs> you know, I know, I, I know exactly to... what you like. It almost feels it, it feels like Netflix is with scenes like that. It's like Netflix is openly challenging the studio system as far as like, oh yeah, so you can't play in China with this kind of content, huh? Well, here. Here's what we can yeah. do. We can have a and bloody you know, R-rated action movie restrict- with characters being as open as they want to be. Yeah, and, you know, and, and Netflix can restrict it in countries, so it's not like they're not going to you know, censor it or whatever, but just like allowing it to be and allowing that to be in there, in this movie, you know, people are coming to the old guard probably because they want to see this big action thriller and it mm-hmm. makes time to show like the emotional ravages mm-hmm. of these characters, particularly when you find out what happened to, you know, Charlize's maybe lover, you know, um, when they threw her in that iron coffin, like that was wild. Um, yeah, there's a whole backstory there that gets like flashbacks to, and it's like, yeah, there's more to explore with this for sure. But it's like, this is, this is really, this is some strong dramatic stuff that you're putting, you're putting out there. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, I just really, I really think, like, the reason why I think it's perfect for a quarantine is just, like, we are all contemplating the nature of mortality mm-hmm. and, like, time. And so to have these immortals, like, they're still chugging along, but, like, they're looking more in, like, it's not really this judgment about, like, oh, you know, humans will die in two seconds. Like, particularly, like, Matthias Schoenart's character, mm-hmm. when you find out his backstory and it's, like, Oh, you know, like Charlize has been around and she's talking about things that she doesn't remember, but she still remembers the pain. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you can be immortal, but you still feel the human emotions. And like, that kind of sucks. <laughs> um, even when you're with your friends and your family who you, you know, your um, not blood family, but just like your chosen family of immortals, like you still feel all of those things. You know, it's funny, we're talking about this and palm springs and i chose this very specifically because of what you're saying as far as these are both movies that are dealing with you know a a sort of a constant that you cannot change um, Mm -hmm. and and how to deal with that what do what what that means about your your mortality what what that makes you think and we'll get to palm springs in a bit but i i do like the idea of film of of writers that are essentially and these are you know these are 
written before what we're going through right now. So it's like there's certainly a, an idea there. And it's not like this concept is, you know, exactly new. I mean, I already related to vampire films, which have been around, you know, forever uh, since films started. <laughs> so it's there's yeah. there's a lot to, like, work with on that front. But I do... I do think it hits like you know some interesting metaphors about life and what it is to be human, which I, I do think is a big part of what these characters are trying to put out there in the midst of this you know action movie. And I I just I applaud it for yeah what you're saying basically having you know what it needs in the, whatever kind of leeway it has from a studio or whatnot in in the screenplay to just get across these ideas and make them feel like you know, something that matters in a different sort of way than other movies, other superhero movies, other ones that, you know, have to depend on whether it's saving the world or stopping some, you know, corrupt world leader or what have you. This is like, you know, just people that are ostensibly trying to do the right thing and are trying to kind of reassess why they want to do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, and which, again, and it's not even like necessarily a bother to me that it's like, oh, the sequel's going to be even better because it can go into like this new version of what the team looks like it's more like i got to the end of this movie and i'm like well i really like that i want to see more of this uh mm -hmm. which i think is you know if you're gonna have a kind of obligatory sequel setup for these kinds of franchises i'd rather want to want to see that as opposed to being like well i guess there's gonna be another one uh yeah <laughs> and i mean i knew that was coming mm -hmm. um just by nature of, of some of the stories that were being told i was like sure. oh so like this is a the thread that you know but now it's like what i think sort of leans into that is they've done the full character work mm -hmm. up until now and so it's like and people end and mentally they're in different places and so now it's like okay so that would be something interesting to pick up in the next movie because now you're going to get these people in one place and now you can take them another way you know mm -hmm. it, like everybody felt like they were in in the position that they needed to be in for a sequel but without it being like oh we made this specifically to get to a sequel yeah i think it tells a story that's you know has a beginning middle and end with mm -hmm. just enough work there to be like yeah and if there's going to be more of these i mean it's all right there you could do that yeah <laughs> so yeah no i was i was uh, i was big on this movie i mean and we're talking a lot about like the implications and whatnot the action is good in this movie i want to emphasize that yeah like, there's i like i know like extraction got a lot of big and like rightfully so i do think regardless of what else is going on in that movie i do think it's choreographed really well and the camera's you know work is really well done and what have you like it's it, that's what happens when you get a good action you know you have a stunt guy stan hargrove doing that work but the work here is really solid i was i was really impressed by it i, I thought it it had a great flow to it. I was, you know, I always get worried with some of these kinds of movies as far as how edited it's going to be or how clear it wants to be, or if it's going to cut so close to the characters because it wants to emphasize emotion over the visuals mm -hmm. when it's like, yeah, that's cool to say, but not cool to look at. <laughs> but, um, but no, here I, I, there's a lot of, I think you mentioned this too. There's a lot of proficiency and preciseness as far as the choreography. So it's like, you have these, you know, four or five characters that are not only really good at, you know, messing fools up, but they're good at doing it together, right? There's a lot of, like, uh, yeah. like, you know, we can enter a room and the camera can, like, fly around to different perspectives at different times and show, like, how they're all working together as a team to take out, you know, people by chopping them up with, with their medieval weapons or shooting them in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when Marin Kanzari and, and, and Luke, um, I can't remember his last name, when they walked up in that bad boy with swords, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> 
<laughs> what is going on? And then they started slicing the dice to people. I was like, oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you find out the history behind those swords. I was like, oh, this is very cute. Uh, but yeah, the action, I think one thing I liked about it is its clarity. Mm-hmm. I think about the fight on the plane. Yeah. And yeah. like, and also the big sort of blowout that takes place across, you know, multiple rooms mm-hmm. and is like, I'm so glad that Gina and the stunt coordinator have a clear idea of just how that place was laid out. Like there are so many action scenes where people are like super close or like the geography of the space is not thought about in terms of, you know, how it looked. Like I recently watched what was that? Hobbs and Shaw. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, I'm not entirely sure. Like you rested on your laurels having The Rock and Jason Statham in this movie a bit. Um, whereas I feel like Gina emphasize the things that Charlize does, but also didn't forget that she's also making a movie. And so, you know, the editing needs to work where the camera is pointed needs to make sense. How we move around has to, you know, make sense. And so I was glad to see that. I know what you mean. I mean, I I think it, that comes down to like Hobbs and Shaw is a bigger budgeted spectacle movie. And it wants to like emphasize certain things as opposed to, Mm -hmm. Because it is directed by David Leach, who, you know, he, he's a stuntman as well. Like he, he has that kind of understanding of how to frame certain things. But I know what you're saying as far as there's there's a lot in that movie. <laughs> like there's a lot to compensate yes. for. Where this is, I this is more. Could not believe mm-hmm. that movie was as long as it was. Every time I looked at the runtime, I was like, it it can't be. So like it just can't be. <laughs> so it with that movie. Because, like, it, it feels like it could end at that, what, that big, like, power plant or whatever in Russia or whatever the hell they are. Like, if it was yes. like, oh, so that's the ending, right? Like, that's, that's this is where we're, like, ending up. And it's like, nope, there's still 30 minutes more in Samoa. It's just like, what? It was 45 <laughs> minutes in Samoa. So, <laughs> now, I told Abe this at the time. I didn't want, like, the Fast and Furious trailers tend to be like, we can show you everything in this movie because you're going to see it anyway. Um, and so I purposely didn't watch, like, I, I watched like a minute of the trailer, but I never watched past it. So I didn't know a lot of the stuff that was going to happen because I was able to avoid all the big money shots in the trailer. So I didn't realize how much Samoa stuff there was going to be in that movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, this is a lot of movie. There's a lot going on here. Well, yeah. And it's like, when I think about the action in, in that movie, like it took place in Samoa because the rock is, Samoan probably because they got a production discount and that's great to be able to shoot there and it looked you know it's colorful and beautiful Mm -hmm. um and everybody in his family is very attractive and like here it's like you know this cast is also very attractive but like it's not like this movie doesn't take place in like some sacred land to Uh one of the characters it's like these people are over here so we're going over there (laughs) You know, like we stay in this abandoned place in France because it's been abandoned for 50 years. You know, we're going to this mine because in, you know, 20 BC, this is where, you know, I laid my head. So like, it it all felt built from, it it felt less manufactured. I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, Anything else on, uh, on the old guard? I, I think we both, 
quite like this movie. I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I I really liked it. When should uh when should people go and see it? Should they put it right on the top of their queue and watch it right away? Should it just be stuck in there somewhere? Oh, I would put it at the top, but I would I would save it for like like a dinner in a movie. Uh huh. That's that's how I watched it. I was eating dinner while I was watching the movie. Um, and it was fun to watch it that way. You know, you can have your own. You know, you might not be able to go to your Alamo Draft House or your IPix uh, dine-in theater. So this could be your dine-in theater experience. Well, there you go. I agree with that. Uh, I my dad watched it. Uh, he he said uh, I he said he quite enjoyed it, and he I he, he was emphasizing what we were talking about. He's like, it's the kind of movie where I know there's going to be another one, and I want to see it. Like he said that exact phrase. Yeah. So like, yeah. So uh, he was a fan. But yeah, I. I I like this movie too. I'd put it on the queue right away and watch it because it's uh, especially we're in the summer movie season and there's not exactly a lot of summer movies out in theaters right now because of obviously. So here you go. Here's 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 one to put on the queue. All right, let's. Uh, you know what? Before we get to our next movie review, let's get to um, some feedback real quick here. Feedback, feedback, feedback. I got some questions themed around um, the old guard answered by our listeners at Facebook.com/slash/podcast. I asked. A number of questions there and they give us some answers so real quick here's the first one uh and terrence feel free to lend your answers if you have any uh favorite films about mercenaries chris writes ronin and the magnificent seven can i go seven samurai then yeah of course you can <laughs> I will, um, it's wonderful <laughs> yeah once they said magnificent seven, i was like let's take it back to the original uh-huh. um yeah, what other mercenary movies do we have? Specifically where you're following. I mean, there's others, but <laughs> trying to think offhand. Uh, well, that yeah, so that's, trying not, I'm trying, I'm trying to not like, to think of of hitmen. I'm trying to think of like mercenaries. Because um, I, I can think a, of I can think of I where just, they're the villain all the time. Or like I just, did a quick Google uh, and Deadpool. De- the the, the, <laughs> merc, the merc of a mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's I wouldn't vote for that. Um, yeah, I guess we're going Seven Samurai. Not a bad way to go. Uh, next question we have here: What are your favorite non-DC, non-Marvel superhero movies? Todd has The Incredibles, The Rocketeer, Hellboy, and Unbreakable. Chris has The Toxic Avenger and Brightburn. Justin has Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Luke has The Scribbler is highly underseen. Jim Deeds, friend of the show, has Darkman, The Crow, Men in Black, and Mystery Men. Jeffrey writes Star Wars, Matrix, Underworld, The Fifth Element, Resident Evil, and Push. I guess I have a wide definition of superhero. And yeah. Adam, Adam has the original Hellboy, Men in Black, and Dread. The Incredibles um, is the second best superhero movie ever made. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that would be my vote. <laughs> I, I, I am big on The Incredibles. I would go there. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of Hellboy 2 as well, so I'll put that out there. Um, next question we have, last question for now we have, what are some great films about what it means to be human? Jeffrey writes, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Hmm. Films about being human. AI? Artificial intelligence? Oh, I do not like that movie. Um, what is about what it means to be human? Ex Machina. Oh, is... Yes, that's a good one. There we go. Okay. Um, I'm just trying to scroll down my list of favorite movies. Like, which of these movies are talking about the human condition? Um, 
Yeah, let's go with Ex Machina. All right, good enough. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on now. Let's get to our next film, our next review for Palm Springs. It's going to be a beautiful wedding. Here you are, standing on the precipice of something so much bigger than anyone here. But always remember, you are not alone. I don't think that we met. I'm Sarah. Niles. Hi. Hi. day so far today tomorrow it's all the same you what is going on hey get out of the water girl guess you followed me it's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about that i might have heard about yeah the second you fall asleep it all just goes back to the start i drove all the way back home to austin and i still woke up here one time i smoked a bunch of crystal and made it all the way to equatorial guinea it was a huge waste of time. Well, then what's the point of living? We kind of have no choice but to live. No, I'm going to get out of this. Suit yourself. See you tomorrow. All right, that should have been some of the trailer for Palm Springs. Mild spoilers to follow, but here we go again and again and again. It's November 9th. Krista Milati stars as Sarah, sister to the bride at a wedding. She gets intrigued by a goofy guy named Niles only for the night to end with some kind of crazy situation leading into a mysterious cave. It's November 9th. Andy Samberg stars as Niles, a man who has been reliving November 9th for a very long time. It's the day of his girlfriend's friend's wedding, and he's stuck in a time loop, having basically given up on life. Things change when he meets Sarah. Palm Springs originally debuted at the Sundance Film Festival, where at the time it was reported the audience favorite was sold to Neon and Hulu for $17.5 million and 69 cents. Terrence, Jeez. Terrence, it's not November 9th. Were you happy being stuck in this film? Um, I was for the most part. I think it's a solidly made movie. I think that Christine Milioti and um, Andy Samberg are really, 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 really good. And so they, they carried me through some of the things where I was like, all right. Like, this is a 90-minute movie. Thank goodness. Um, for me, with things, if you have a, a mechanic where things are recurring a lot, it does get old. And so even though it was, you know, they were doing really good acting and the characters were being pushed in different directions, I was like, at some point, this mechanic has to stop. <laughs> or like, and just when I would get to that point, mm -hmm. they would stop it and do something else. And so it kept me going. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, I thought it was really solid, um, solid movie. I um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought it was a very fresh take on this concept. I understand what you're saying as far as there's a level of repetition that's kind of baked into the concept. So how do you keep it going? But I yeah. agree with you. I, I agree with you that it's neat to see how they kind of pivot and find new ways to explore what they're doing. But I like just the basic setup already, where as opposed to 
following a character who just gets stuck in this and it's like, oh no, what's going on? And it like, takes like four days to figure out, oh, it's the same day again. Here's a version where the main character has been in this for like a thousand years. Like he's like been he's been trapped in this situation, and we're we're already thrown into that situation. It has its cake and eats it too, though, because it has another character, it has Christian Mialotti's character, who is in it for the first time and has to deal with it. And yeah. I think the strength of this film comes from the chemistry between them and the how you balance having a character that's basically given up on everything versus another character who is slightly more ambitious and wants to solve the problem. <laughs> and, and there's there's obviously, like, times to kind of resign and give in to it, but also still thoughts of, well, what do we do about it? But at all the same time with that, it's less about, like, the plot as far as how do we get out of this, even if that is a factor, and more about why, what are we? What, like, what do we do now? Which is what I was trying to allude to with the old guard as well. It's like, yeah, you, you've, I've seen this before because this is a popular subgenre, especially now. It seems like there's more of these time loop movies than there hasn't been in the past. Um, but this one, like, it wants to, like, take a look at people of a certain age that are meandering and how that reflects, even if it's in this kind of sci-fi construct. And I think it does a, I think Palm Springs does a really good job of presenting that as far as being a very funny comedy as well as one that gives Samberg and Miladi a chance to exist as people and show certain sides of themselves that are based around just their lives in general, even if they weren't stuck in this area. And I find mm-hmm. that to be quite, that's quite rewarding. Uh, that it, it does its job in that sense. And you have other things that present themselves here, including another character played by J.K. Simmons uh, that I won't get too far into, but he's also stuck in this. And it, I just it kept like finding ways to engage me and while being funny as well as being like insightful in some ways. Yeah, I I liked the exploration of the character psyches, um, and in sort of repeating the same day over and over, you know much like the old guard, it's like it allows you to look inside and inside is a place that neither of these characters want to go. <laughs> like they really do not want to feel feelings. They don't want to reckon with their decisions. And in the moment, because they're both stuck in this loop, it allows them a chance to, you know, just do whatever the hell they want and be free with each other. But then like they start forming a connection and I was asking them to go look back inside and they're like, Oh no, that's not a place I want to be, <laughs> uh, you know, and they, and they had to deal with what that means. Um, I, there were some parts of this, particularly with, um, Christine's character. I'm, I don't know whether it's because I've been in quarantine and now my mind is super sharp. Um, but I was like, Oh, I know something is good. Like, there's some reason why she was the way she was when we first when we first meet her. Maybe not mm-hmm. when you know Andy first meet her. And I was like, and then it was revealed, and I was like, okay, like that makes sense that that would be weighing on her and and dealing. I don't, I don't quite. I'm of two minds with this movie. It's like I don't quite know if they learned their lesson um 
but I also think that like the concept of like having to live with what you've done and moving forward is really interesting. Say that again. So like, not to get into spoiler territory, sure. But I'm and I'm just focusing on her because she makes a pretty big life mistake. Uh huh. You find out. And 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 by the end, it's sort of like okay, well, I just have to live with that and move forward. And so, like, on, and on one hand, I'm like, you know, yes, you shouldn't let the things from your past drag you down. But then on the other hand, I'm like, that was a pretty big life mistake. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, if she really reckoned with that. Same with Andy. Like, he, you know, he made some pretty big life mistakes, particularly with, you know, regards to J.K. Simmons. Um and I don't know if they really reckoned with that either. <laughs> but that's but just due to the nature of the fact that the day will reset, can are you I guess the question is, are you really fixing did they fix anything? Well now I, I guess you're talking about a mix of tone and how much story we're supposed to have, right? As far as yeah, how how much further to go with these things. And I mean for the most part the tone wants to both be light on its feet yet have some stuff lurking there in the background where the story being presented, it has to balance how much character reflection do we do versus how much forward momentum do we have given the construct that's created by this time loop. And I can see what you're saying as far as specifically with, um, with the Sarah, with the Sarah character, as far as things that she's done and how to deal with that. And I mean, I don't, I don't have a good answer as to what the better way is to both have that character contend with their actions as well as, you know, get out of the situation that they're presently in. Uh, yeah, because if you if you look, Sarah, Sarah and Niles. Why, hmm. I just saw this movie last night. Why do I remember the names? Um, like, there are things that they did prior to stuff resetting that, like, we find out story-wise. But I'm just like, I really want to get into spoilers because, like, because, you know, and in, even with other characters, mm-hmm. like, there are other characters that were present in the mess that they were doing. And, like, the movie just sort of moves on, <laughs> you know? Well, I think it's that, so hyper focus on them. Well, I mean, that's part of the point, though, right? Like, it, there's there's messiness, and honestly, I mean, that's part of life, right? I mean, I can't fault it yes. too hard, because that's that's just a, a, an aspect of life that doesn't get solved, you know, automatically. Uh, and, like, that bugs me more in... That bugs me more in, like, comedies or romantic comedies where, like, full character arcs are experienced within, like, 24 hours, where just, like, none of that makes any sense to me. Like, I get that it's a movie, but at the same time, it's like... You can't start the day feeling like this, and then like everything about your life is suddenly resolved, and you live happily ever after in the you know the next the following day. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I feel like this, yes, there's you know hundreds of years or whatever you want to say spent like focusing on this exact moment in time. So I can understand there being a bit more of an arc there, but yeah, you ha- you're being so hyper focused on these specific characters, it's hard to like for a film that wants to be this brisk because it only lasts ninety minutes, like. I can get why it's not going to be necessarily taking every other character to task and saying like, now this is what the status quo is going to be coming off of this Mm -hmm. or this is where everyone's going to go from there. And 
I guess like it affects me less because I'm just enjoying this movie so much where thinking about, well, what is, you know, what, it, what's his name? What is uh, Superman? Tyler Hawkman going to do Peckland. after, after yeah. Peckland? What's he going to do after this? Uh, it's just like, all right. I mean, yeah, there's stuff there involving these other people at this wedding. Uh, but I like the kind of personal growth that I do think is, you know, pretty well examined for the most part in this movie that that's presented. Yeah. I think it, I just have Derek Hale PTSD every time I see his face. Um, that's a reference to Tyler Hexland. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is, that, is that Teen Wolf? Yes. I, okay. it just, it hinders anytime I see him, I just get horrible, terrible flashbacks. And so it's like, it takes me so long to appreciate any kind of performance that he's given after that show, because I'm just so stuck in the horror that was that show. Um, but I think what's interesting about this movie, as opposed to something like Groundhog Day um, and, and, and even the Groundhog Day musical that hit Broadway, it's like, do you, it's interesting to think about this movie as like these two people, like the, their focus is, can I relate to and form a genuine connection with somebody else? Uh-huh. Right. And, but in my mind, I don't know if they've become better people because of that. And so that's a hard thing to wrestle with in a movie where you keep repeating the same day over and over. Like, and that's where I think my, my struggle with narratives like this comes in. It's like, are they getting better or are they just, or are they getting more evil? Right. It can go either way. But like, well, I mean, that, they, that's usually like the parabola that this film forms. Like, how evil can I get up, 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 and then goes back yeah. down to now I'm going to learn about what I can do. And I think that's what that, the success of Groundhog's Day is not just that Bill Murray is very good in the movie, but that his resolution of how to deal with the situation he's in is to learn and to become a better person. And I think the film yeah. really very, very much reflects that. That's the whole that's generally the conceit of most time travel mo- or time loop movies, right? The idea that someone just has to kind of do everything the right way. Uh, even if it's exaggerated to the point of Bill Murray has to save an entire town essentially before he gets it right. Um, yeah. But I like that. That's that's the character arc, right? That's the like, okay. Yeah. The, I I'm I'm in the situation. The the only thing I can really do right now is learn. And I do think this film it tries to play with that a bit. Like the solution, that's not the solution, and they clear that up pretty much right away. Like Andy Samberg's like, yeah, it's not going to be about just like doing the right thing or being better people. Uh, that's just not what it is. There's some other mechanic going on here as far as why it's happening. But I, it does kind of, it almost like, it almost satirizes the idea that that's what this concept is by how they form it, how one character forms a resolution as far it just kind of like gives you a montage of like and this is what we did <laughs> it's like which I, it's almost tossed off at the same time it's like well that's i guess that's a new way to do it uh but as far as what you're saying uh, you know are are we coming out of this film with thinking the characters have grown as people i guess it's debatable but i i mean i think they've grown as people in terms of being able to make a one-on-one connection with somebody. Cause like, as sure. I mentioned, these people, they do not want to feel feelings. And when you're in a relationship, you know, you feel feelings. And I think that they handled it very maturely. Their takes on, you know, are we going to focus on getting out? Or are we going to stay? But just like, there are so many things in their lives 
uh-huh. that were like a mess. And then the I do not feel like I got resolution on anything other than the fact that that they were able to form this one-on-one connection with somebody. And I guess that's the point, but like there's one really big thing that I just cannot get out of my mind. <laughs> like that had no resolution and that was a huge like that would be a huge plot point in anybody's life. So to like not truly deal with it uh-huh. is wild to me. And so that that's sort of where the movie lost me a bit. Um, so it seems like you're you're positive on romantic stu- romantic comedy A, but less so about romantic comedy B taking place in this movie. Yes. And there, so because I I, I think the film is I think the film's successful on a romantic comedy level and fairly interesting on the existential level, um, knowing that there's a messiness there that's just kind of still out in the open. Yeah, uh, I think I think romantic comedy B. what that person chose to ultimate to do with the time they'd been given Mm -hmm. i loved i was like thank you somebody has to be the adult (laughs) here let me ask you Um, a question did you did you see the there's a a mid-credits scene did you did you stay that far oh i did not you did not did you just stop right after it said directed by I watched a little bit of the credit. I didn't know there was an end credit scene. There's a it's a mid, there's a mid credit scene. Oh no, I didn't see that. Listen, let, for hold on. <laughs> let me just say this. Your movie <laughs> it starts from when the camera rolls uh-huh. to when that first credit. I am not a fan. Just like with sharp objects, right? Okay. Dropping. <laughs> Very important plot information. Plot information should not be in your mid-credits. It just shouldn't. Like, mid-credits should be, like, a fun little singer or, like, a quick thing to propel you maybe to a new movie, you know, type of deal. Like, the movie should not be continuing through your credits. Like, your credits should be the time to appreciate the people who worked on the movie. (laughs) Let me, okay. But let me look up this mid. I'll look it up. Okay, so I I hear what you're saying as far as there. I mean, the the best I can say is like there's just there's some messiness there that comes with the territory. I suppose I can understand being annoyed by there not being certain amounts of resolution. I get that. Like I I personally just can't say it affected me too much as far as how I appreciated the film. Uh, but I, but I hear you. But I want I do want to commend. Andy Samberg and Christina Milioti. Yeah, they're very good in this. Great. But like this might be the best thing, best actor performance Andy Samberg has ever given. Oh yeah, like, for for a film performance for sure. I agree. Yeah. The depth of emotion there. Like the idea it's funny because like her character calls him a sad boy. Mm-hmm. And like you know, much like Charlie, like the weariness. Yeah, that he wears, even as he's enjoying things, is really, you know, interesting to see. And it's just, 
I mean, it is just funny, like, how he's so, he could be so confident, like, at the wedding, where he doesn't even wear the tux anymore, the suit anymore, he just wears, like, you know, a board shorts and a Hawaiian shirt, like, and just, like, and and everyone just kind of treats it, like, whatever, even though they're not aware of this, but he can still, like, interrupt a speech and give, like, the perfect wedding speech, and everyone's really impressed by it, like, just, like, things like that, because he just knows his way around it. Like, the the first, like, sequence involving him, where we're, we're still not technically aware of what he's going through but he's just kind of mm-hmm. like dancing his way through the wedding scene because he knows everybody's choreographed moves and everything so he's just like yeah it. that's it's just so like it's funny but you can see there's like a he he's enjoying it to the point of well i've done a great job of mastering this but he's not like feeling it you can see he's not feeling like impressed by himself it's just more mm-hmm. like this is just this is another one of these <laughs> it's no it's it's yeah, there's there's a lot working there as far as yeah. both on that comedic level, but yeah, as well as on the kind of I'm really I'm suffering. <laughs> this is a horrible thing, yeah. and I just have well, to get used they, to it. They both they do a good job of presenting these damaged people without being like, oh, I'm so damaged. Uh-huh. You know, like I knew there was going to be some big emotional thing that was going to you know drop. Sure. Yeah, because um, it's a movie, but like it says something to the power of their performances that like it was effective even when you know it's coming. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it, you have the right kind of people for these roles. I think it, there's a, there's something about the way you can handle this in a humorous fashion yet still know that there's something lurking below there. And that's not to say that it's impossible for anyone else to do that, but I do think that just the nature of these performers who have done, you know, certain kinds of material before i think it really lends to what this film's going after and just a good good script too i mean this is yeah. a, it's first time i believe what they're involved at least one of them was involved in lodge 49 and some tv stuff but like um andy ciara who wrote the screenplay and max barbica i they they do the job i mean because this is a this is a concept that if it doesn't work it's not going to work but it's also one that's been done a lot uh as far as having a time loop goes so the idea of bringing something new to the equation i think was quite effective here yeah so i think like i I really do commend them um and structurally this what's interesting what i think is really impressive structurally normally one person is in the time loop yeah there are three (laughs) Mm -hmm. like and you know, your two leads and it's like, and, and they're not in, they're in the same one technically, but like, it's like three completely different experiences within this time loop. And so that balancing that and figuring it out is really hard. And I think they did a really solid job of differentiating that and and making it watchable. I also like that, J.K. Simmons' character, Roy, he's described as a family man that lives in Irvine, so he has to drive here every day to Palm Springs. That made me laugh mm-hmm. just because I, I live near Irvine, so I was like, oh, that's funny. And then they, there's a point where they go to Irvine, it's like, oh yeah, that's that's Irvine. That, that's what that looks like. <laughs> yeah, how but, far is that drive for you? It's, it's like two and a half hours. Yeah. It's, so it's like, yeah, I can see why he doesn't necessarily come to the wedding every day if he's living the same day over and over again. <laughs> like, I get that. It's, yeah. I don't, need to, I don't need to do this right now. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I was a big fan of this film. I, I think it... I, I, I'm, I'm happy it's out there. I can see why it was a huge hit at Sundance as far as something that's just, like, plain enjoyable but still works on that kind of semi-indie level. 
Um, oh, this mm-hmm. movie probably felt like a breath of fresh air to everybody at Sundance. They I were imagine. cold. Yeah, it was exactly. snowing. They hadn't <laughs> eaten. <laughs> and then they get something about Palm Springs where it's sunny, you know, bright and sunny, and you can drop in the pool in November. <laughs> and it does, a, I mean, it, it does a good job. Of, I mean, it's a, you know, for a fairly low budget movie, I think it does good work with the setting being like minimalist because it's in Palm Springs. There's not much there to begin with, but still like vibrant. Like, I mean, obviously it's in, you know, mm-hmm. it's in the desert and it's sunlight, but like the way the characters are dressed, the way the, you know, the production design or whatnot, it does lend a sense of like pop to like what you're watching, especially since there's dramatic undercurrents going on here. You still have, you know, ex- an ex- expressive visual palette to kind of make the film work as far as the kind of likability. So yeah, there's a lot to like, I think in this film. <laughs> Yes. All right. Um, well, I I would put this at the I don't I don't have Hulu, but if this came on Hulu, I would be like I need to see this immediately because it, it's it's really good. Uh, I would watch it after the Old Guard. Okay. Fair enough. Like I did. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, because it is it is a solid movie, and those and the performances really are are quite good. All right. Well, that was our review for Palm Springs. Let's do the feedback, feedback, feedback related to said film. First up, we have favorite films about characters who experience time differently from others. Todd writes Groundhog Day. Chris writes The Terminator or Edge of Tomorrow. Ooh, Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat mm-hmm. um, is really solid. <laughs> That's a great choice. I, I love that movie. Um, it, it is really good. It does. It also does this routine quite well. <laughs> so. Yeah, but it, that movie, I think, is a good example of what I was hitting at about like things need to be resolved. <laughs> I hear it. Yeah, I get that. And that's another one that has a kind of at the time had a fresh take as far as there's someone else involved that previously had this ability but doesn't mm-hmm. anymore. Like that's that's a fun way to do it too. Can I go the last year at Marion Bad? Well, what? The last year at Marion Bad. Um, as my people experiencing time differently than others. Okay. Give you since since Criterion is having a fifty percent off sale. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's where you could see it. <laughs> All right. Next. Uh question here favorite films about a character who has given up christopher writes not a film but chidi's meltdown in the good place is an all-timer and then chris writes leaving las vegas <laughs> they're so diametrically opposed to each other but okay yeah what is about characters who have given up who've just given up i don't know if i have one for this I tend to not like movies about people who have given up. Just done. Yeah, I don't have one. I do like leaving Las Vegas as an answer. That's a that's a pretty solid choice. Sure. <laughs> What's a movie about someone that's just like, I'm gonna kill myself? Where's that movie? Oh, I'm sure there've been a lot of those. I, yeah, I'm sure there's been a lot of just like offhand. I'm trying to think. Yeah, given <laughs> given up is such a specific. Uh huh you know thing because most people like they give up and then they try and get back and they might fail but like you know 
You know what I can think of? Um, and related to Groundhog's Day, actually. Bill Murray in some of these dramatic roles, like uh, something like Lost in Translation mm. or, or even like Rushmore, their his character is essentially like, there's nothing else I can do. Like, I will just go through life now, which kind of feels like just giving up. Like, obviously, there's arcs for these characters that make them stop giving up, uh, much like Palm Springs, which is why I asked this question to begin with. But I do think his those kind of weird that is that weariness again. Those kind of characters are ones that are just like, I, why? Why keep doing anything else? There's nothing else I could achieve at this point. Yeah, does something like Little Children fit that mold with like Jackie Earl Haley's character? He pretty yeah, because much... he's kind of like searching for so, like he's just existing now. Yeah, he gives now. up at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, the mist. Oh, the mist. Oh, uh, the there mist. We there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or how about like Hancock? You know, he's just like, I guess yeah. I'm good at this thing. Like that's the that's the more intriguing first half of the film. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the second half's like, I guess we need a plot now, um, and it's not a good one. Um, but that first half, because that was that that was my initial interest in that movie to begin with. It's like I like this. He's just like this guy who has these abilities, and it's like I'm drunk all the time. Who cares? Like I can just do this thing. Like I that falling down. There's another one. The Michael Douglas mm-hmm. Joel Schumacher film. Where he's just, I've had enough. <laughs> I'm out of, I'm out of it. <laughs> Didn't come up with a lot of these if I think about it. Anyway, all right, that was our feedback, feedback, feedback. And um, with all of that, that's going to bring us to the end of our episode here. We have done our double review. Um, you can find all of my work at the my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. All my written movie reviews end up over there. I'm also writing at wisetheblue.com. Speaking of Criterion's, I do have lots of Criterion reviews over there. Um, which just in time for the Barnes and Noble 50% off sale. Yeah. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Terrence Johnson, where can people find more of you online? You can find um, my reviews on littlewildtour.net when I remember to write them and I'm not contemplating <laughs> my mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Terrence B. Johnson. Uh, that is one R, no A in Terrence. All right. You can find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast, and instagram.com slash slash outnow underscore podcast. Terrence, thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, you're welcome. Abe, get well soon, and we look forward to seeing you back here as soon as we figure out what we're going to do next week, because I'm not sure what we're going to do next week. There's not a lot of... This is a big Reese week for films uh, as far as the summer movies go because we had this and that and uh, what the Tom Hanks movie Greyhound and First and Relic on VOD yeah. and Relic is quite solid too. Uh, a lot of big, lot of big movies. Well, a lot of movies coming out. I mean, big is relative at this day and age, but a lot of stuff happened. So uh, we'll figure it out though. We'll figure it out. We'll come back with more episodes. Got some ideas in the burner. But until next time, so long and good luck.